0: and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcasts. In this episode, we will be discussing bringing science to a more diverse population, bringing more diversity to STEM and building more powerful communities in STEM for innovation and solving world problems more effectively. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Shri Sait, author, thought leader and chief science advocate at 3M. Shri, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Susie. It's very nice to be here.
0: Thank you, it's an absolute honor to have you on the show and to discuss your rich experience and your thought leadership on these topics. And we will be covering lots of different areas in this eclectic topic of diversity, inclusion, equity, and innovation in STEM. Uh, and we will also be diving in and out of the two books that you've published on this topic, The Heart of Science, books which I loved, that are behind Jay three for those that are watching, and they're also behind me for those that are watching. And for those that are listening, They're books which not only educate and allow people to reflect on what could be next in this quest, collectively and and individually, but they also support the cause. As all proceeds from your books, uh, Shree, go to scholarships for underrepresented women in STEM. Yes. And so you hold 76 patents already to your name, uh, but you remain curious and collective about other people's projects and world issues. And You're also the first ever Chief Science Advocate at 3M. So there's so much we could say, but I would love to start there. (laughs) So you are the first Chief Science Advocate at 3M, and you didn't necessarily see yourself as the science type growing up. So can you tell us what first got you interested in science and STEM?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, grew up on the campus of an engineering institution, so I was surrounded by professionals in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. My dad was a professor there. It was a great place to grow up, a small university town in northern Mm -hmm. India. And it had uh, the oldest engineering college in all of Asia. So a lot of pride associated with that. And all the kids in town, we knew what was expected out of us. Study hard, prepare well, and get into the hometown (laughs) college. (laughs) But I never thought of myself as what I thought back in the day was the science type. I mean, I did well in school. I've always worked hard. But in looking back, I feel like my interest was more in humanities and more human topics, if you will. Mm. I wasn't the one who was interested in how things work, but I was more interested in how people think. Yeah, I have to say I like biology, but it because it could be related to human context. Yeah, cool. but I was, uh, you know, squeamish about cutting cadavers and all that good stuff. <laughs> and, and there was strong parental guidance for the path of engineering, so I stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And Really, if you ask me, it wasn't until I started on my doctoral work that I really realized that I was interested in research. Mm-hmm. I liked doing those experiments. I loved working on things that could have a human impact. So I'm a late bloomer, if you will, but I, mm-hmm. I feel that only because the context wasn't explained to me earlier. More I know got to know about it, the more I liked it. And that's mm. why I'm so passionate about talking about the context of science. And of course, when I came to 3M, it was great because there was everything that I would have needed: a culture of empowerment, an emphasis on collaboration and a context of improving lives. So it was really a perfect place for me. And really, it's here I am today at the highest level a scientist can attain at 3M and also 3M's chief science advocate. It's mind-boggling for me. Yeah,
0: and it's it's brilliant, isn't it? Just how much purpose and context can bring to a situation and change your own perception of who you are and and how you're going to be. But did you ever imagine yourself having this title of chief science advocate?
1: No. uh, You know, in fact, when I was asked to take on this role, I think I cooked up four reasons right away as to why I shouldn't do it. Mm. I've never attended top schools. I have no scientific expertise. I came in through the back door as an intern at 3M. And I never thought of myself as the science and engineering tribe, you know, growing Mm. up. Mm. But when I heard the results of the survey we had done to understand the public perception of science, I realized that we need to advocate for science because Mm. science is invisible. Science is underappreciated. Science is taken for granted. I mean, believe it or not, four out of 10 said if science didn't exist, their lives would be no different. Mm. Mm. 32% of the people call themselves science skeptics, which is fine. But in that population, 6 out of 10 said, if science didn't exist, their lives would not be any different. So people don't realize mm. that the gadgets, you know, that they are taking the survey on, mind you. Mm. that That is science and applications and decades of scientific research. Mm. So we care about science at 3M. It's what fuels our innovation. Our purpose is to unlock the power of people, ideas, and science to reimagine what is possible. Mm. And we also know that there can be a negative consequence for us all if people don't have a positive perception of science. And that is why I was called upon to be the chief science advocate. We wanted to stand up for science. So I really had to dig deep into the survey data, you know, into Mm. the other studies that had been done, and into social science research, which I really enjoyed, you know. Mm about people and how we form our perceptions. And that's what really helped me understand and get a deeper understanding of the issues and, and really shape my, my advocacy strategy, you know, about raising awareness and appreciation, breaking down biases and barriers and boundaries and beliefs, and then C for communication, communication, communication mm-hmm. with a focus on context, context that people can, can relate to. So that's what I do. I advocate for science, diversity in STEM fields, and a lot of programming to support that.
0: Mm. With, with massive amounts of storytelling. So your own yes, stories. With but with context. Also, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's so powerful, isn't it? Because the perception of both what a scientist is, what science is, what gender they are, etc., starts very early on, as we've seen the experiments of younger children between 5 and 10, and then sort of between 10 and 20, and then as mm-hmm. they go through the, the society and, and life experience. But I mean, diversity in STEM isn't a new topic, is it? We know that. I mean, we've been, it's been at global decision-making tables for decades now, but we haven't necessarily progressed in terms of gender parity and in terms of diversity and representation in STEM. Uh, you talk about STEAM cleaning for diversity in the STEM fields. Can you tell us a bit more about that? And I really love the new perspective it brought and how it widens that horizon.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. This has been discussed for a long time, and I just keep saying we need to do some sort of steam cleaning because the problem is that persisting biases and gender stereotypes and possibly some combination of hardwiring, right, Mm. that can really serve to drive girls away from science-related fields. As you mentioned, you know, as early as age six, girls Mm. are already less likely to describe themselves and their gender as less brilliant, you know? By age five, there is parody, but then it just flips. And we know on the flip side that this isn't a capability issue because, mm-hmm. you know, we all know in the early days of electronic computing, that work of being computers was largely done by women. Now, once computers became, you know, all about power and influence, Mm -hmm. then female programmers were sort of edged out Mm. in technology, you know, despite having all the requisite skills. And then we also know the packaging of STEM is currently not geared towards girls. It's totally targeted for boys. I mean, if it hadn't been for my parents, I would have never gone Mm. into this field. Because it certainly wasn't packaged for my type who wanted to make the world a better place, help others. That's not how we lead. We lead with the content and we Mm. just don't even talk about the context. So the solution is right there. That very narrative around fields like engineering need to be re-engineered. So we need more Mm. focus on that context. Then, I think scientists have long recognized that science and the art of storytelling are intertwined. But Mm. Students, when they're introduced to scientific concepts, it's largely through, you know, textbooks and and lectures then that can unfortunately be rather uninspiring. Mm. And I believe if STEM subjects were explained through that lens of story, that Mm. more girls who consistently score higher than boys in verbal proficiency also, they will just be Mm. more interested. And I like to say the math is simple. We cannot. I mean, how can we afford to miss out on the contributions of 50% of the world's population? Mm, We we need (laughs) that diversity of thought. Mm. You know, there are so many critical problems waiting to be solved. So we need those numbers. We need the governance and the policy and the diversity and inclusion and goals and metrics. So that's what is to me full steam ahead. S is for shattering of stereotypes. T I say is about telling the whole sum story about science, how it helps people improve lives, exposure and environment, allies and advocates. Men need to be allies and advocates. It's not a zero sum game. You know, everybody benefits from it. And then metrics and measures, because sometimes without that, the numbers don't move. And if we could do this, then it's a steam engine that could, I like to say. Yeah. And the public understands and realizes that. I'll tell you, in 2021, in our global survey, State of Science Index, mm. seven out of 10 said there are negative consequences if we fail to attract more women and girls in science.
0: Mm. Absolutely. And I think you know, COVID made that very apparent, didn't it? Because everybody started, and you talk about it quite a lot in your book, how the perception, the general perception changed towards science because COVID was something real for everybody and we were counting on science to fix it. This human context of science, so the heart of science, if you like, you know, how this part comes into a sort of science part. How can we as individuals and collectives bring those two subjects together more closely? So, you know, sort of the STEM, if you like, if the H goes in there, which is something that you talk about at great length in your book. And that I think is, for me, is the way forward in terms of context, storytelling, but also the adoption of science by people.
1: Yeah, I think it's critical what you say, the integration of humanities in STEM, mm. you know, because just think about all the scientific and technological challenges that we have ahead of us. They will require not just the ability to think critically, but also to be able to apply it within mm. the human context. That's mm. another thing we saw during COVID, how important that is. And that ability can be de- developed, you know, through learning which emphasizes STEM and key elements of humanities. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think to have the impact that science can truly have lessons in humanities, you know, the study of human society and culture and social science are crucial. Mm. STEM subjects focus in many ways on certainty and a, and a quest for answers while humanities focuses on dealing with uncertainty and a drive for questions, you know, where Mm. STEM seeks to analyze humanities can help us synthesize. So The ability to meaningfully engage, to think critically, to listen empathetically, communicate, collaborate effectively, they can Mm. all be enhanced with humanities. Mm. And I think the largest impact of humanities and social sciences can be in the area of science communication. We all saw that, you know,
2: Mm.
1: Mm. uh, during the COVID period also. Science communication is so critical. You know, Mm. issues arise when people see something that conflicts with deeply held views. And that gap between what science shows and what people believe, sociologists say it is about our identity, you know. Mm. I think it was in 2019, nearly half the world, 45% said they believe in science that aligns with or likely reinforces their personal beliefs. So in that kind of a situation, the current state of science really reinforces the importance of humanities because many say they're skeptical of science and they're becoming increasingly distrustful, but therein lies that paradox of trust, if you will. You yeah. can't trust yeah. something unless you understand it. And you can't understand like... something without trusting it. First. Mm. So a human trust, oh my gosh, that's a fluid concept. It's very personal. And we need a better understanding of the public impact of science. We need better understanding of what influences our willingness to engage with it and trust it. So
2: mm.
1: that's why I can give you my spiel, the real shtick. <laughs> I say STEM is the interaction of humanities with STEM. Yeah. And if the chasm between STEM and humanities widens, then I think both disciplines have a lot to lose. So I think if we can bring it together, it'll also help to increase diversity in STEM fields.
0: Absolutely, hopefully. And then as technology brings us all closer together, it just increases that that need for me to bring a H into, into STEM. So STEM, what are some initiatives that 3M has taken to promote diversity in STEM? Because I know they're very- Yeah,
1: we have taken a lot of initiatives. I must say, even before this role was announced, 3M has been very active in uh, STEM encouragement and education in the uh, communities we operate in and have really done a lot through funds and scholarships and donations and programs and collaborations. But I can tell you about some of the recent big initiative, Mm. you know. So as part of of our overall commitment to creating greater equity in our communities and our uh, business practices and workplaces, 3M actually set out a global education focused goal that we will advance economic equity by creating 5 million unique yeah. STEM and skill mm-hmm. trade learning experiences for underrepresented individuals. So that's a big one that we have. And uh, really, everything that happened in 2020 uh, accelerated this kind of uh, goal. Mm-hmm. And we're very proud of that. And then uh, other things, for example, in 2021, which I think is really amazing. I mean, we are known for our innovative products, but who would have thought we would make a docu series? But that's kind yes. of what we did. Yeah. So we we've created two now. So in 2021, we created not the science type, and I'm honored to be one of the scientists featured in it. This docu series essentially we want to inform, influence, and hopefully inspire the next generation. You know, we want to catalyze the conversation around. Challenging the constructs that exist, dismantling the the archetypes that exist, shattering the stereotypes, you know, of who enters, who persists and who can excel in STEM. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: We want to show that your 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 potential is exponential. You can blaze trails, you can pursue your passions, you can shape your careers, you can bring in your interests like I did with my interest in social sciences Mm. and humanities. We want to communicate with this docu series that you know you don't have to be a specific gender or race or ethnicity or nationality or age to be that science type. And your paths can be diverse, just as diverse as we all are. And science will be better off for that diversity. Science needs you to be you. Mm. So it's it's amazing. I hope your listeners can check it out. 3M.com/slash not the science type. And and while we're on the topic of Docu series. Mm we all know film is a great medium to shape public opinion and a lot more young people and a lot of people were watching during the pandemic. So, mm. so we created another docu-series and this one is called Skilled. And this is an opportunity to shine the light on a group of unsung heroes. Those who literally keep the lights on.
2: Mm, yeah,
1: It celebrates the people in trades mm. and the talented skilled tradespeople who really make our world go around. And, people forget that STEM is also a critical foundation for the trade workforce. Of course. And we wanted to provide that exposure to these careers and really inspire the next generation to pursue them because I don't know if your listeners know there's a real shortage of skilled workers and it is projected to get even more acute for the pipeline of next generation talent. And that has consequences for us all, for the economy and for the society, for workers and employers. And in 2022, we know from 3M of Science Index, 90% of the general population around the world, 17 countries, they said they respect skilled trades people, but more than half agreed that there is a negative stigma associated with these jobs. So these negative perceptions impact the pipeline of the next generation Absolutely. of workers for mm-hmm. all skilled trade occupations. So. With our docu series skill, that we want to help sift through misconceptions and and lift these stigmas and and really shift the narrative, because our world mm-hmm. needs more skilled workers to fill what are really high demand, much valued, well paying jobs. You know, from chip mm-hmm. making to ship building. Absolutely. So, and mm-hmm. and then what's nice is it also supports our global initiative to advance the five million experiences that I talked about. So. Yeah. You know, we're going to promote this with students. We are partnered Mm -hmm. with Teach for America and the film is going to be shown in schools throughout the U.S. And we really want to humanize these roles Mm -hmm. by putting the spotlight on real people. Yeah. So we hope both those series can be an inspiration for 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 people.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure they will be. I can see behind you, not the science type. Um Yes. But but I think it's inspiration, is it? But like you say, it's also working upfront with upstream, should I say, in terms of careers with students and things like that. So again, we're busting stereotypes, reframing, reframing what we think, reframing how it's communicated and the context to come back to what you first said, where context is key and actually giving permission for people to sort of view it differently and think about it differently, which brings me to the idea of diverse voices. I mean, as well as representation and, and the maths, let's say, it's also about having those different voices around the table, different ways of thinking, different thoughts, schools of thought, different ideas, etc, and thinking holistically, but intentionally bringing different views and voices to the table. And I love the acronym "Voice," that you coined in your book around, you know, five ways that we can actually intentionally do that and you know take the initiative to have the impact we want around getting more people heard and getting more ideas onto the science table let's put it that way can you share this acronym on how you actually got to the acronym voice
1: yeah actually it's very funny I I think in acronyms sometimes and I, <laughs> I thought about STEM and I was like STEM is only possible because of sponsors, teachers, enthusiasts, mentors. And how mm-hmm. I really came up with this, Susie, was we do this young scientist challenge in partnership with Discovery Education. So three young scientists then go on to do great things in 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 life and for society. And I was... At one of those events and looking around and you see the role 3M is playing as a sponsor, Mm. the teachers, the role they play as you talk to the students and just enthusiasts who have encouraged these kids and mentors. Mm. You know, so I was thinking sponsors, teachers, enthusiasts, mentors, that's STEM. And then I started thinking about what has really allowed these people to flourish Who planted the seeds of STEM and who nurtured them and watched Mm -hmm. them grow into these well-informed problem solvers that they have become? I realized you don't have to be in STEM yourself. Yes, I know we need more science. We need more people in science. We need more science-minded people. Mm -hmm. But we also need those who can support and communicate the social benefits of science. So I started thinking about all the things one can do. And, you know, I would volunteer at science events you know, we organized events in community and can support it, you know, those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. that's how it came about. Volunteering, organizing, championing to bring more STEM tools in your local schools, you know, working with local government and school mm-hmm. boards. And you can do it through individual or corporate involvement from where you work. 3 is so supportive for our involvement in in, in first robotics, you know, things like that. And then you can Mm. engage in conversations with young minds and draw out their natural curiosity. And what's the best part these days is you don't have to have the answer, but both, both people can sit down and look up the answer. So you can engage in learning, learning together, which also sets an example that it's okay. If you don't know, we will learn together. So that's how voice was coined, volunteering, organizing, inspiring, championing, and engaging. And You know, how can we be that village where we support all students and we nurture the love for science and create minds that are filled with, you know, curiosity
0: and wonder? That's what we Mm. need. Mm. And it's the platform to be bold or bolder, isn't it? Or should I say that? That's how I read into it. And I mean, so you've written your two books and you often impart your thought leadership and your wisdom through acronyms. Sadly, we won't have time to go through all the acronyms, but we'll go through a few today because... That really caught my attention and I've actually started doing it now. It's it's actually that is probably quite good for the way I learn, but but it's a very interesting practice. And what inspired that practice for you?
1: Yeah, thanks for noticing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, it's hard not to notice. It's so funny. My kids roll their eyes like, don't tell me. You're not <laughs> <on me." laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, But I love the beauty of language. I love the power of words. I love the magic of letters, you know, pithy phrases pique my interest. Metaphors move me. I'm enthusiastic about experimenting with acrostics, you know. (laughs) It's funny, when I was in school, we actually had a biology teacher who taught us how to remember all the cranial nerves by creating a mnemonic. (laughs) It was just fascinating (laughs) to me. It just makes things easier to Mm -hmm. remember you know, makes things stickier, if you will. And I do work at 3M. We have the best tapes and adhesives. <laughs> <laughs> and not to miss, we are at 3M, which is Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. So we love our TLAs, yeah. which by the way is a three-letter acronym. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah. I use them liberally in, in my books. And and my books, as you said, are a collection of essays on, on various topics and all proceeds go to a scholarship for underrepresented women in STEM administered by the Society of Women Engineers. Mm. The first one came out in 2020. Um, it was a tough year to say the least, especially uh, for those of us in Minnesota, with mm. things that happen in our yes. own backyard.
2: Yeah.
1: I wanted to be productive with purpose and, and take action. So, so I just got this idea and I compiled essays that I've written in this book. And so the heart of science, engineering, footprints, fingerprints, and imprints happened. And it was great to have a partnership with Society of Women Engineers. Mm, mm. And and exactly a year after the book was launched, I got invited to give the Silas Ethics Lecture at the Department of Chemical Engineering at Georgia Tech. And it was in person. So it was my first in-person auditorium event, you know, as the pandemic is easing up and vaccines are Mm. happening. Now, it's interesting. It happens to be the school that I have visited. My son studied there. It also happens to be where the first recipient of the scholarship was. And it was just incredible to meet wow. her. Very emotional. you know. That's and I was that. thinking, what are the odds? What are the odds? And my heart said, <laughs> you know, yeah, the universe is sending me a message. Yeah. One yeah. book, one scholarship, one student I get to meet. In my flight back, I was like, I'm going to write book too. Yeah. So the second book was launched in 2021, and that is Engineering Fine Print. Mm. And I really encourage your listeners to buy the book because it's not what you take away. It's also what you give back, the gift of education. So it's really a win-win. So please buy them on Amazon and don't forget to give a five-star review, all for a good cause.
0: Absolutely. I hope you've done that, Susie. <laughs> I, I have. And fine, it brings, in your second book, you do talk about fine, the fine print. I like that in your first book. There's the points to ponder, so it's really an invitation to you know think outside your normal thought process and, and ponder on these questions. And the FINE, which is another acronym, so feelings, identity, needs, and emotions. I love this acronym because it's about diving deeper into how we humans manage transitions. And of course, that's the area where I work the most in terms of uh, the human dimension of transformation, and and you know, particularly the cultural element to that. And you've already stated that 3M's empowerment culture was something that really gave you purpose and, and moved you forward. How can we create fine workplace cultures? And, and what are the main challenges you see around doing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I agree. The pandemic here has really changed us forever because change at home, change at work, change in the world, change in our lives, you know. And it was like a rare moment in time where, All of humanity faced the same threat. We all Mm -hmm. confronted the same fears. We awaited the same gift of science in the vaccine. So I think there was this unprecedented feeling of of stark vulnerability, a Mm -hmm. sense of collective grief that many hadn't felt before. It really reasserted the need for that social connection, the importance of family and friends. It highlighted the need for self-care, resilience. The importance of health, healthy lifestyles. I mean, a lot of things, the need to connect with nature, live lives in a more meaningful way, all of these things. And then everything else that happened, inequalities in society, privileges that we all Hmm. enjoy. So that sense of gratitude, sense of empathy, everything around us changed. And that's why I believe our relationship with work changed. And it wasn't just where we work from or what we work for. it was why we work and who we want to work for, you know. So a lot changed. And times of transition, I think, teach us a lot that he just mm-hmm. how to accept change, how to manage the change, and then leading us to create change. So, that is why I think it was important, you know. In the first book, I talked about themes like STEM advocacy and mm. convergence of STEM and humanities that we talked about, and yeah. leading from your own rung of the ladder, developing a growth context. But in this book, like you said, I attempted to go deeper into the topic of transitions to thrive and survive amidst change, reflections so we can get perspective,
2: mm. and then
1: insights into the actions we can all take. Because otherwise, in my view. We didn't use this moment to do anything Mm. if we don't reflect and work through the transition and it leads to some action. So so it seemed like the next step from points to ponder was to explore the fine print with each article, you know, because the last few years have made me realize that it doesn't matter what educational path you follow, uh, what career you end up in, Mm. real growth. And true leadership and really self-actualization comes from getting in touch with our feelings, like you Mm. said, going deeper, dissecting Mm. them, understanding our sense of identity and how it has evolved, tapping into our needs at that very innate human level, and then integrating these new learnings with our lived experience. That's what really helps us work through tough transitions, have those deep reflections, and arrive at meaningful actions. Mm. And that is, to me, the fine print, you know, feeling Mm. identities, needs, and experiences because a lot of things change and we really need to put a lens on that fine print. So to answer your question, this was a long answer, but what that means to me is we need more honesty and authenticity. We need more transparency and vulnerability. We need more diversity and equity. Mm. And how do we get comfortable with all that in our everyday lives? and in living out our leadership.
0: Mm. Because I always say that inclusion is getting more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable because those are not comfortable subjects, are they? <laughs> you know, you may feel more comfortable with doing that one day, but you probably will never feel 100% comfortable because it's not comfortable, is it, to go inside all the time. But it's interesting to look at leading from your rung of the ladder, which is um, an analogy that you talk about around more leading from where you are and where you are in your position uh, in the organization, irrespective of where you are on an organization chart or or what your title is. Which brings me to the next thing around, you know, this big leadership paradigm that shifted and that COVID has accelerated for me in terms of, we've already spoken about technology, bringing things together very, very quickly. And that us having to be more creative with what makes us human. And for me, that calls for different leadership paradigms. So, you know, how do we break the silos? (laughs) Of our own thought processes, as we've just discussed, or of, of an organisation. I have to come back to another acronym that you have in your book of silos, which I found also very impactful. And I would love it if you could give us your uh, walk us through silos and give us your thoughts on, you know, what leadership is needed to break those silos.
1: Thank you, first of all, Susie, for reading my books and appreciating my acronyms. I'm going to have to text yeah. my kids. <laughs> Met someone who really thought they were. Pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I'll
0: sign it for you if you like.
1: (laughs) Thank you. No, I think this is just came through reflection to me as well, you know, Mm. that our nuanced identities and our own consciousness around our own identities, it is so complex. Mm. Like just a simple question, who are you? You know, Mm. to me, like, how would I answer it? Like, I would say I'm a STEM professional. I would say I'm a parent. I'm an American of Indian origin. Mm. but these are just a descriptors of a big part of my identity but if somebody is looking at me from the outside a casual observer they might see a woman of color in a male-centric profession right yeah but the voice in my head tells me oh my gosh I am so privileged I'm well educated I'm a South Asian immigrant you know that's the voice in my head is mm. telling me. and when I'm, I'm among, among Indians I'm further identified by the language I speak and the region I belong to or the religion I might be So. You weave all of that with your own personality traits that have nothing to do with your ethnicity or Mm. things like that, or your rich professional journey or the diverse life experiences. That is what creates the fabric of a person's being. That is the backdrop for their mindset. That is what gives color to their worldviews. And Mm. so it's very, very complicated. And what 2020 really awakened in me is that we constantly need to stretch and make sure we can think outside, whatever it is our constitutes our bubble.
2: Mm.
1: We have to hear outside our echo chambers, and we have to look for an outside-in perspective. And it's not like we don't need our support systems and that sense of community with a mm. safe zone. We all need because, that. I'm not because... saying we let go of that, but mm. at the same time, we have be, to be open to connect with others to seek new connection and realize that we all mutually benefit from that connectedness. And that is how you make sure you don't create silos. You know, we are now having this great realization of the systemic and structural inequities that have existed Mm -hmm. in various aspects of our society and the need for equality and the need to be inclusive, given all aspects of our, of our, complex identities you know even intersectionality and it sounds Mm. simple but it's not easy because simply humans we often do struggle to easily relate to others who we see or perceive as different Mm. but that difference is what we need to harness because we need all the diversity and creativity we can muster to unlock the secrets to a sustainable future whether you know it is at home in school society Mm. or general conditioning We have to acknowledge some of the implicit bias and all the issues that are keeping talent away precisely at the time when we need to solve Mm. the global challenges we face. So what I see is many leaders and organizations are focusing on that. They listen, they learn, they reevaluate the diversity and inclusion goals, uh, you know, strategies, cultures, and it makes perfect business sense. It helps with employee engagement. It helps with retention. It helps from a recruitment perspective. It, it increases customer loyalty. It can increase brand presence. And, you know, there are a lot of grassroots efforts. There are employee affinity groups. But mm-hmm. leaders and executives also need to be visible and make clear that these statements about their commitment and action plan, because that's what trickles down through that organizational hierarchy. So I really believe it is critical to foster those interactions and interconnectedness so we can avoid the silo mentality. Yeah. So we need frameworks for action that instead of, you know, feeding some isolated, stagnant entity actually relies on connection and sharing and flow.
2: Mm.
1: But by the same token, it isn't just organizational strategies. They do go a long way, but individuals have a strong role to play to accelerate these change because they are the ones who have to forge the connection across the silos and and really take action to change the culture.
2: Mm.
1: And and it starts with one person at a time. And mm. each one of us, we need to recognize that we have biases. We have to scrutinize our own prejudice. All the assumptions are the access baggage that we carry. And we all carry that knowingly or unknowingly. And we don't even realize how our implicit notions and any entrenched beliefs that we have that are buried deep within our identity. Mm. And that's why I like the word you use, deep, mm. because you have to go deep because initially you'll say, no, I, I don't have any of that. I don't do any of that. I don't think anything like that.
2: Mm.
1: but within our identity at some subconscious level we do have these and they impact our subliminal thoughts they may Mm. even impact our overt actions you know things like who we connect with what we support how we judge Mm. all unconscious but they profoundly impact how we show up in the world so that's Mm. why I thought silos was important because we as individuals can take action to avoid And echo chambers and break down silos by paying close attention to these elements. So silos, let's see, silos spells out social circles and spheres, informal and formal connections that we make, local community and culture, opportunity creation and context, and societal constructs and classifications. Think about those a little bit. And then we can all move closer to the goal by cha- implementing changes, not just at organizational level, but at an individual and societal level, because we are connected, yeah. you know, whether we like it or not, yeah. and inextricably so.
0: Yeah, massively. And it is about deeper. It's also about systemic, isn't it? So individually looking systemic, being future focused and looking at the sort of holistic critical systems thinking picture, which when we're in silos, clearly we don't do because we're back in, in the silo and we're back in our normal thought processes in our normal communities. Exactly. Um, Time is running, but I would like to come to you recently sharing your experience at the STEM Equity Summit, where the White House launched the STEM Opportunity Alliance, which is a national effort by the American Association for the Advancement of Science to bring stakeholders together to talking about communities across sectors to promote equity and excellence in STEM, which must have been an honor to witness. And there you coin another acronym and then I'll stop with acronyms, (laughs) but your acronym CAPE, which particularly personally spoke to me um, and inspired me in my personal vision for 2023, I always think, you know, as you said, action, and, you know, it starts more, what am I going to do in 2023 as an individual and then collectively to have impact for a more equitable, inclusive and sort of collaborative world? Could you walk our listeners through this acronym CAPE and what it means for you, uh, Shri, as you move through 2023?
1: Yeah, that brings back memories. Yeah. I actually Ubered to the White House. That was the most <laughs> <That> was <brilliant. laughs> interesting experience. <laughs> uh, I thought it was super, uh, super funny. But mm. yeah, in December last year, like you mentioned, I had the privilege to attend the White House STEM Equity Summit. Mm. You know, it was a summit to put the topic on the national agenda, you know, a room full mm. of advocates, mm. community of advocates whose purpose aligned. And I, it was truly magical. I felt inspired, like on a pro- personal front, professional mm. front, proud of 3M's participation in the consortium, my representation at the summit. It was just, it just was really meaningful. And what was also very meaningful was that I had arrived straight from South Africa. And I was there for the topic of equity and social justice Mm. at the World Science Forum, which was in Cape Town in December. You know, while I was in South Africa, I just was compelled to visit the Cape of Good Hope. Mm. Because as a young student, i had been quite intrigued with this place. You know, our social studies teacher had described it to us that this is a place near the southern tip of Africa. It's really hard to navigate past it. Mm. And uh, that there are many, many who were trying to find a sea route to India, but they just couldn't navigate mm. you know, past that. So it is literally a place that had stopped many a ships, uh, you know, until Vasco da Gama was able to navigate yeah, and he yeah. became the first European to land on Indian soil. So I had this as a child, you know, vision of rough seas and big waves and sinking sailors and all of that. It was just I never, never thought in the wildest of my dreams that I would have the opportunity to visit it. So it was just too emotional for me for so many reasons. Look, mm. here I am, you know. From there to here, I get this opportunity to stand here. And it's perfectly calm. There was no, (laughs) you know, rough seas or anything. And I'm just thinking, wow. So this calm sea can at some point become so turbulent that it Mm. stops people. And then I also realized that this is a place... That you encountered storms, but when you turned the corner, it engendered hope, right? That's why they called it Cape of Good Hope. But that was one perspective. After they crossed it, they landed in places. And we know the history of what happened, where they landed, and what they did. Mm. And so it just hit me that there needs to be equity in any vision It's just not good enough to know how you're going to get there. Mm. It's so important to know what are you going to do when you get Mm. there? Because the Cape of Good Hope can mean hope for one party, but what about the rest? It was not hopeful. No. And that was just, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh my gosh, Mm. this tells me that. We have to pay attention to equity. We have to do that because that is how the future gets decided. And we all have a role to play because Cape is essentially a landmark mass that extends into a body of water, but it significantly changes the coastline and it becomes important for navigation. Mm. And I thought that is brilliant. That's why Cape needs to be redefined. So my Cape that gave me good hope for 2023 is Commit to sustainable development goals with a long term perspective, advocate for science with a societal perspective, promote representation with a global perspective, and empower innovation with an inclusive perspective, so C-A-P-E. It spells out. And that's my cape. I mean, the goal for equity has been elevated. Mm. And as they laid out, it is going to be clarity, inclusivity, action, responsibility. So I think we have to navigate this landmass and we have to be mindful of what we're going to do when we get there. Mm. And that's all the planning. So Mm. yeah, very philosophical, but it was like that that moment when you're looking at this spot that you thought you had visions of and it doesn't look like that. So things can be very deceiving
0: yeah and then this massively different perspective hits you, and it's what I call light bulb moments. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's philosophical and holistic and you know is about the purpose of why we're here, I really liked. and you know it just what it brought home to me was there's a lot of personal agency in this as well as just talking about it or people talking about it or advocates advocates getting together. It's also what am I going to do? you've you said it a few times today, action, what am I going to do? Yep. and how can i how can I you know put my piece of legacy in there? Jayshree, time is running. Would you have a final call to action or acronym or piece of advice for our leaders and our listeners thinking, okay, what do I do next? How can I go about having impact systemically in this system of STEM and underrepresentation in STEM?
1: Yeah, I think uh, two parts to it, right? Sustainable innovation and uh, more inclusive mm workspaces. And and as far as sustainable innovation goes, you know, I think really the old models of leadership and frankly, the framework for business may need to change to drive mm. and accelerate the pace. You know, I often say these days, the old playbooks need to become workbooks mm. and new chapters need to be written. So mm. this is a great time for people who are looking for leadership and And I think I really like the word you use, legacy. Legacy Mm -hmm. is so critical. Be thinking about your leadership from a legacy perspective, because that's what the Cape showed me Mm -hmm. also. There is leadership in navigating it, but there is a legacy that was left behind that may not be the best. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's both of those. And I think current times and all the challenges we have, they call for greater trust. They call for greater collaboration. They call greater urgency for alignment. And this is almost like alignment, not just top to top, but also bench to bench, eye to eye,
2: Mm.
1: on visions and missions and roadmaps for a more sustainable future. That is what will lead to action. And I think people in the labs, people like me, we are excited Mm. to make it happen, but we are looking for that collective leadership to pave the way because this is the need of the moment leadership that can handle the dialectical nature of all the tensions. And all the contradictions at play and be mindful of, of the legacy. And it's just not about functional leadership. I truly believe we can all step up and we can become stewards in our own right and work through obstacles. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the way I like to say it is that we need to start practicing now to be in the long run with individual and collective commitment so we can run LAPS. And I'll give you my final acronym. LAPS <laughs> is Leadership and Legacy in Organizations. Hmm. allyship and advocacy across the value chain, partnership and primacy with the public and stewardship and diplomacy with the ecosystem. Because at the end of the day, sustainability is going to be a team sport. So Hmm. we have to tie it in in with purpose. And at 3M, it anchors purpose-driven innovation in our products, manufacturing processes, technology. We're always trying to do more. All employees around the world because we each have a role in executing the sustainability strategy. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe now more than ever before in our lifetime, innovation is a lifesaver for business. Inspiration is the lifeblood of innovation. And purpose is the lifeline for inspiration. I think the second part was about inclusive workplaces. Yeah, I think the good leaders recognize that a diverse workforce is a robust and resilient workforce. You know, it makes economic Mm -hmm. as well as moral and ethical sense. It'll help uh, science, it'll help uh, loyalty, it'll help leadership. Uh, they just need to have an empathetic lens to be able to see their own privilege mm. and contribute to alleviating inequities. It's just the right thing to do, and mm. it requires everybody to play a role. And I call it actually the ecosystem, You know, the exposure, the Absolutely. encouragement, the mm. empowerment, the education, the economics, the engagement, mm. the equity. And, and good leaders will dig in because they know that environments that lack diversity are like echo chambers, same voices, Mm. and the same problems, and likely the same solutions, which is a very narrow point of view. And Mm. right now, there is an urgent need for a broader perspective and societal context for science. We need a more diverse science community, and we need science to be a more inclusive space because a narrow view makes science itself vulnerable. So I say to leaders, you know, give support from ground up. Show open-mindedness all around, create seats at the table, facilitate diversity, foster inclusion, further equity. Because it is critical to innovation. And God, we know the world Mm. requires innovation. Innovation needs science. Science Mm. demands diversity, and diversity warrants equity.
0: Excellent. Thank you. I'm going to leave our listeners with that with the need to exercise the acronym LAPS to build capacity for the future and to make sure it's as equitable and inclusive as possible. Jayshree, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and the context of your books and your stories. Where can people find out more about you and what you do?
1: Well, I am on LinkedIn almost every day. <laughs> uh, I, my, my kids are annoyed and I always tell them it's part of my job <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, so please follow me. And uh, if the messages resonate, please help me spread them because it's great to have more people thinking along those lines. And uh, again, a plug for the books, please buy them and uh, you can find them on Amazon and maybe Susie in your podcast, we can put the links to that. So I absolutely will. uh, And then, uh, yeah, um, here's to running laps. We all need
0: to practice. Excellent. Thank you so much. Been a great conversation. Thank you, Jayshree. Thank you, Susie. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights and learning it gave you. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.